Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Okay, so this morning, uh, we're going to go into Acts 10, but before that, Pastor Lauren uh, took us through Acts 9 last week, and we saw the journey of Saul's conversion, and I love the theme that is in Acts that comes out of there, where there was much prayer and how uh, Ananias gave his yes. And this was not an easy yes to give, this was a very difficult yes to give because of all the trouble going on there. And today, there's no different in Acts 10. We're going to look at the story of Cornelius, and again, we'll see this theme of prayer and people giving their yes to move on. But every one of us, as we look at uh, different things, um, for me, when I do uh, message prep or whenever I just even look at a book of the Bible, if I go to it and I read something, I love going on and making my own kind of collection of data so I can refer back to it and see what it looks like. So I just felt I want to share one of you guys here, and I'll it'll be up on the screen there right away. And this is kind of how I look at Acts. And you can see the chapters 1 through 7, the church is being established, is tested, purified, and strengthened. And Peter was kind of the main one we looked at there, but it was an emphasis was on the Jews. And the first seven chapters were about a two-year span, and it was primarily done in Jerusalem is where the gospel was spread. And as we move on to chapters 8 and 12, where we're kind of stuck in right now, we can see the gospel spreading, and it's multiplying, and lives are changing, and we're seeing them breaking old traditions from the Jews, and now we see other people getting involved, like uh, uh, Philip's getting involved, and we saw Stephen, and now Ananias and Saul. And this is the emphasis on a, a transition period that's going to take place. And that's about a 14-year period as we saw the gospel spread into Judea and Samaria. And I'm not sure how far we're going to get, but as Acts go on, and this, even for your personal time, when you're going to go read Scripture and look at it, you will see now the Scripture moving forward, and you'll see the church is expanding even more, and you'll see how it's received and rejected, but lives are still being changed, and there's a unification for the Jews and the Gentiles, and this is, again, Paul's main journey is going forward, and he's going to the Gentiles, and again, that was about a 17 to 19 year period would happen to, but we see the gospel spreading to the uttermost parts of the Roman Empire as Paul did his missionary journeys. So this is something uh, I just want to put up there to show you guys. Everybody looks at scripture a little bit different. We each have lenses, we each uh, study it differently, but this is something I wanted to show you is kind of what I practice. And um, when I go through scripture too, even for today, uh, when I study something, I love to read through the story once, maybe twice, and then go back and start dissecting it, right? So when they say something, for example, oh, he prayed at this hour, what does that really mean? Is there something more we can dig into? So today, we're going to do that. We're going to look at this, and again, everybody of us here, when we look at the uh, scripture, we have lenses. So that's why I love when somebody else comes and preaches here, I can hear them talk about one of my favorite stories, and I can see the lens they see it through. So one of the lenses I have, I look at scripture all the time, is I'm a foreigner, right? I'm not from here. I came from a culture and I got put into a new culture. So whenever scripture talks about he was a foreigner or came to a new land, I perk up. I'm like, oh, what does that mean? I can dig a bit more into it. So that's the thing, we have all these different perspectives coming into it. So today, as we're gonna go through Acts 10, I'm gonna read to you and I wanna encourage you, 
if you have your Bible here, you can grab it because we're going to read the whole chapter. And if you don't have your Bible, you can grab your phone. And if you don't have either one of those here, uh, we will show it on the screens for you so you can follow along. But um, I typically read out of the ESV is uh, one of my translations I read out of. It's not the best translation. It's just a translation I enjoy. But if you're ready, I'm going to read this for us and we can see the story of Cornelius here in Acts chapter 10. So, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly a vision of an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a Tanner, who is in the house by the sea. Then the angel who spoke to him had departed and he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among who has attached him. And having uh, related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day as they were on the journey approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while he was preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open up to something like a great sheet descending, being let down by the four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again and the second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up once to heaven. Now while people was inwardly perplexed as to what the visions uh, that he had seen meant to him, behold, the men who went sent by Cornelius have made an inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon who was called Peter was lodging there. And while Peter was uh, pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for, you, uh, for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, has directed by an holy angel to send for you and come to his house and hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away uh, with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, they went to found many persons gathered. He said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or visit with anyone other, uh, from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why have you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying my house in the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me with bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. So I sent for him at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear what you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, 
but in every nation anyone who fears him does what is right and acceptable to him. As for the word that is sent to Israel, preaching good news uh, of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and stand with power. He went about doing good and healing all, and were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that done in this country with the Jews in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day, made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God, as witnesses who ate and drank with him and rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people to testify that he is the one appointed to God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him are all the prophets bear witness, and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and exalting God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptism of these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for a few days. What a story, hey? I know that's a big chunk of scripture. But I love it when we go through a chunk of scripture and we come back and we start dissecting to see what we can see in it. So Acts 10 is a story of two men. And it's mainly the story of Cornelius and then Peter. So let's start looking at Cornelius. Who is Cornelius? Well, we see here in verse 2 that he was a centurion. And centurions were scary people if you looked at them, okay? They had full armor on and made a shield and a sword and this big red thing on top. And I think, yeah, there's a picture of one. They were not friendly people to behold, okay? But yet, uh, a centurion is somebody who's in charge of 100 soldiers, and that's the Italian cohort it talks about. And then later on, if there's a legion in the Roman Empire, that is when we see 6,000 soldiers and 60 centurions coming together to make up a legion. But Luke, who wrote Acts, and also we see in Luke 7, portrays centurions in a very positive light. And I'm not sure exactly why he does that, but even in Luke 7, we hear the story of Jesus when a centurion comes up to him and says, my servant is ill, can you please, uh, can you please uh, heal him? And Jesus offered, oh, I'll come and I'll heal him. And the centurion said, no, Lord, just speak the word. Because I'm a man of authority, I know if you speak the word, that he be healed. And I love Jesus' response when he says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. So I'm not sure if Luke just had a good reputation with them or what's going on, but I really like to see this as centurions are held in a good light. But we see here too with Cornelius, that he was a devout, God-fearing man. That's one of the first things we see coming out here. He is a man of faith. And we can see that he didn't just keep this to himself, but he spread this to his entire household, right? The second thing we see there, too, is that he gave alms generously to all the people. But he was known for his generosity out there. And this is something, too, that you can really think about, because this is the opposition, right? The Jews and the Gentiles were completely segregated. So in verse 22, we see how the Jews profess, man, this is a very generous man that gives it. This is kind of like when we have rivalries here, right? And this is not a simple Coke versus Pepsi rivalry. Sorry, bad example, because Coke is far superior and Pepsi is not even running in this. But it is more like, you know, let's say bombers and rough riders, right? There's a good rivalry. And it is to a point, it's say the rough riders, keep getting touchdowns against us all the time, and then the bombers go and say, wow, you guys are amazing at touchdowns, you know? 
it's kind of in the same light as this because the Jews are the ones who are supposed to go out and take care of the poor and stuff, but they could even recognize that Cornelius was a really good man who goes out and gives to the poor. And the last thing we see here too is Cornelius is a man who prayed. And not just prayed, but he prayed continually. This is something that was part of his life. And we see all these attributes of Cornelius, and I'll be honest with you, I see those attributes and I go, that's my next small group leader. I want this man to lead a small group in our church because he does all the right things, right? And he does many good words, and I would say he's an amazingly good man with a good soul, and he's very religious. But we have a problem here, right? We see the problem here that even though we live good lives and we might do the good things, good enough, unfortunately, is not good enough. And we see in Romans 7, it says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. So good enough is not good enough. And especially in our culture today, this is something our culture is yelling at us constantly, right? You are enough and you are good enough and be your best self. And this is very dangerous ground we're sitting on because the truth is, is that we are not good enough, right? And this is something, again, in Mark 10 we see, and Jesus said to him, who do you call good because no one is good except God alone? And the thing too is we get into this lie when we say that I'm good enough, and now the next question is, and why it's dangerous, because if I am good enough, why do I need a God? Why do I need a savior if I am good enough? And if we take this argument even a little bit further and saying I'm good enough, how do you know you're good enough and what do you measure that I'm good enough against? Where is your morality gonna come to, right? Do I measure my good enough towards Chuck Norris because I like him and he's a good guy? Or do I measure my good enough towards a celebrity or an athlete or whatever it is? And that is why we need a God who is good and we can measure our morality with him and know if we're good enough or not good enough, right? So that is something that again, it's so easy to come into play with us but this is the thing too, we are not in a performance-based religion. That's not what Christianity is. But it is so easy to fall in that trap, I do all these good things, I'll be a good Christian, but we're actually in a grace-based relationship with God. That is what Christianity is all about. I walk in a grace-based relationship with God because he's the only one that can save us. But on the flip side now, let's talk about the other side. So some of you here, and this is something I struggle with too, is saying, man, I wish I was like Cornelius. I wish I struggled with the things that I am good enough. But maybe you struggle with, you have no idea how much sin I have in my life and the bad things I have done, the disgusting things I have done in my life. If you would know half of it, you would not come and talk to me. So I wanna just change this now around and saying that bad enough is not bad enough. And I know it's bad English, but I'm from Africa and I'm a pastor, so it's double bad enough for me. But bad enough is not bad enough. Nothing we have done can separate us from the love of Christ. So I love this passage in Romans 8. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor death nor any other creature shall separate us from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus. Isn't that an amazing passage? Isn't that something that we can really look at here and say there's so many things and nothing can separate us from, from, love, from the love of Jesus? Nothing that we have done that is so bad that Jesus would say, oh no, I can't have you in my kingdom. There's nothing like that that exists. So this is a message here that Cornelius had to learn, right? That our salvation is in Christ alone. Cornelius had to know that it doesn't matter how good or how bad you are, 
our salvation is in Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And it is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And I love this passage because Jesus, and God said this many times in Scripture too, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So even in our salvation, we look like a verse like this, we cannot boast on any good thing I have done in my life. I can simply look at this and say, God, it's by your grace alone that I am saved. And we can walk in humility even through uh, our salvation here. So as we look through this, it is not about the deeds I have done. It is not about the marriage I have or the, uh, the social status I have. Those are not the things that is going to give me a good way to come to salvation to Christ. Uh, John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me, uh, to the Father, except through me. If you've known me, you have known my Father also. From now you do, you do know him and have seen him. And again, in this description of Cornelius, we see that he was an incredible man, but he was missing this one thing, right? This one piece that he was missing. And you might say, how do we know that? He's done all these good things. How do we know he's missing a piece? Well, an angel appeared to him, right? So this angel shows up and says to him, go get Peter. Why? Because you are missing the step about Christ being our only salvation. And when I read this uh, again and again, I kind of thought to myself a little bit too, Lord, the angel gave Cornelius very detailed instruction. Like, you know, go south about 50, you know, about 50 kilometers to the city. Simon Peter is staying with Simon the Tanner who tans stuff. Like he gave him really specific instructions. So this angel is speaking clearly to Cornelius. And I wondered to myself, why did the angel not just spread the gospel to him? I mean, he can give all these details. Why can't the angel just say to Cornelius, Jesus Christ is our, our only Lord and Savior? Why can't he just do that and preach the good news? So, upon reflecting more and more about this, it's because Acts 10 is not a story of just one conversion, but of two conversions. See, Cornelius is not the only one who needed to get converted here, but also Peter. Peter, and we're going to look into him right away here, also needs a conversion because he's going to be part of this that's going to spread the gospel wherever he goes. So, as we move on here, we're going to see now about, uh, about Peter. So, who's Peter? Peter is a Jew. Peter grown up as a Jew his entire life. Um, and this is something that we look at uh, Jew versus Gentile, and especially in these couple of chapters of Acts, and as Acts move on too, you constantly see this tension between Jew and Gentile. So why is that? Why is this the big tension between Jews and Gentiles? And I'll tell you, the big fuss is because back in the day, God used Abraham to establish his new uh, nation, right? The Israelites, the Jews. So he made this new nation that was set apart, and the word Jew is, is something that associates with people following Yahweh, and Gentile, the definition of Gentile, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I had no idea until I looked it up, but Gentile means anybody who's not a Jew. I'm like, I like that. Two different categories, Jews, everybody that's not a Jew. Doesn't matter what nation you're from, what you're doing, if you're not a Jew, you are a Gentile. So when we look at this too, the Jews were God's chosen people. They were God's chosen people to reveal to the world that there is a living God we can follow. And because God is unique and the Jewish culture is so unique, God gave the Jews a very unique culture in that. So the way they ate, the way they uh, washed and bathed and did art and language, and even the way they built their houses 
was unique to the Jewish culture. So they can be set apart as a nation and people can see that, but also can see from the outside then, the Jews are following the one true God. So we see this divide between Jews and Gentiles and what makes Acts 10 so incredible, see in the past, if you wanna become a Jew, you could. So you can become a Jew, you have to take on the way they eat, the way they dress, get circumcised, and all these things, and you can become a Jew. So the thing is, it's unthinkable for people like Peter to go, but a Gentile who is not converted to become a Jew to receive the Holy Spirit, because they are unclean. They are not doing all the things they should do as a Jew. So this is what makes Acts 10 so incredible. And if we look at Peter's life here, he was out praying, and it says about the sixth hour he was praying out there. So the sixth hour is around noon. So that's why he was hungry, so he was out there. And what I also like about this too, we see Cornelius as one who prayed all the time, but so did Peter, because the Jews prays twice a day typically, and Peter, just like Daniel, this is the third time he's praying around the noon hour. So we're gonna look at this a little bit again, and I love this verse. This is probably my biggest comfort verse in scripture, and you'll see why right away. Uh, verse nine, the next day as we were on the journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the household about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while he was preparing, though, preparing it, he fell into a trance. So honestly, I wanna see a raise of hands here. Who here in the prayer and fasting month during January, when you have to pray and fast, the only thing you can think about is food? Is there anybody here like me in that? Okay, thank you for your honesty, I appreciate that. Because that is me, okay? Prayer and fasting month, I know there's many things I need to pray for and go into, but all I can think about is food because I'm hungry, right? And it's not just me, it's Peter. It totally happened with him. So he fell into a trance and thinking about food, and even the best part is, God totally used it. God totally used his weakness and in food where God's gonna do this big thing. Before we get into that, I gotta tell you a story about um, myself, uh, we're in the prayer room, this is many years ago, Gideon was just born, uh, he was a couple of months old, he was screaming all the time, I wasn't sleeping, my wife wasn't sleeping, none of us were sleeping, um, and it's this prayer time we have with staff on a Tuesday morning, and there's about an hour left of prayer, and the last hour is just personal prayer. So it's me and Joel Weeb, we're in the back by these cubicles, we're sitting in the corner there, and I am exhausted, I am hungry, I can barely keep my eyes open, and I'm sitting there thinking, one more hour. I can do this, one more hour of prayer, and then I can go on for the rest of my day. So I remember sitting by the cubicle, and all I did is I put my hands like this, and I said, Jesus, give me strength, just one more hour. And as I did that, I can hear people getting up, and Joel getting up and start walking out. And I get up, and everybody's walking out. I'm like, oh, I missed an announcement or something. And then Joel looks at me and says, man, you intently prayed. I'm like, what? And he says, you haven't budged for an hour. Like you just sat there like this for a whole hour. And as he said it, I looked down at my desk and there was a small puddle of drool right there. <laughs> so I was completely out for an hour. I slept through there and I felt refreshed. I felt better. So Jesus met me in that and instead of sleep, I just call it resting prayer. So that's what we did. So even when I am weak, God met me there. And the same way, God met Peter when he was weak, right? So we can see that God used this. So he was hungry, he's sitting there, and what's happening? 
we see this bed sheet coming down, or this big sheet coming down, and I'm just imagining in my head, this is not scriptural, not scriptural, this is me thinking. I'm imagining four angels just holding on to this thing, bringing it down, and there's all these animals in there, right? So there's probably shellfish and pigs and all these things. And then God says to him, verse 13, and there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. So this happened three times, probably because it's Peter, okay? No, it's because of the men coming, but that's what I think in my head. But he's seeing all these things. I mean, pigs, just think of pigs, right? Pigs are an amazing thing God gave us because it's bacon, pulled pork, pork chops, ham, ribs, and tenderloin. All those amazing things come from one animal, right? And Peter's seeing these things, but now I love how God is saying this. And I wonder, because we kind of blame them because we get the all of Scripture, but in Mark 7, and I love how Jesus is so direct with his disciples. Look what Mark 7 says. Are you so dull? He, Jesus, asked them, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. So here God declares that bacon is good. Here God declares sell shellfish is good, okay? Anything we eat is good because it doesn't affect your heart might affect other parts of your body, but it doesn't affect your heart, right? So we can eat these things, and it's like, thank you, Jesus, for putting bacon back on the menu. So the Jews were separate, and this is part of the reason why. It's the stuff they could eat and not eat. Because in the Old Testament, there were basically three groups of laws which the Jews adhered by, right? They had dietary laws, ceremonial laws, and the moral law. Now, the moral law is something that we still hold to today, and we still hold up the moral law, and that is not vanquished. But because of a cross, the dietary law and the ceremonial laws have gone away. Colossians 2, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So as we uphold the moral law, and again, you have to realize this, Peter has been a devout Jew his whole life. He has not eaten pork, he has kept to all these tra traditions, and now this is a big change for Peter. Peter's looking at this and like, really? All these things are changing right now? So God is challenging him, right? And I wonder as God is challenging him, I wonder if Peter is thinking back to the days when Jesus was walking with him. And he's thinking back when Jesus said, remember, it doesn't matter what you eat, it doesn't affect your heart, it affects your stomach. Right. And these things, God is connecting the dots, and the dot that God's connecting for Peter is my next point. Salvation in Christ is for all people. This is not just for a select group of people, but all people can, see, can have this. John 10, and I have other sheep that are not of this fault. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, for there will be one flock and one shepherd. And again, when Jesus said this, I, and again, this is my imagination. This is not scriptural. This is how my mind works, okay? But I wonder when Jesus sat there and he was going to say these words, he looked at Peter and he said, Peter, come here. Two hands, two eyes. Look at me. Look at me, Peter. This is important, Peter. You have to remember this. We're going to bring everybody in. So I wonder if Jesus, and again, this is me thinking, but I can just imagine Jesus sitting there saying, Peter, copy me now. Okay, Jesus. Everybody, everybody will be saved, will be saved. That includes, that includes everybody, the Jews. You know, 
and they didn't quite get it because they thought that everybody included the Jews. Whenever they said, you know, we can get all everybody together, that meant all Jewish people. So they were stuck in this. But I can only imagine that this was a light bulb moment for Peter, seeing the sheet descend three times and God saying, all are welcome here. So again, salvation is in Christ for all people. So again, we have hindsight of this, but did you know we look at this and we say, Peter, come on, man. You should have gotten this. Jesus said it so many times. We read it in the Gospels. But did you know we do the same thing today? We do the same thing Peter did. And English actually has a wonderful word for it. It's called a clique. Because don't we do the same thing with the people we love, right? We go out and we say, oh, we're going to reach all these people for Christ, but yet we only visit with the people that we love. We only go to the people that make me feel good. We only go to the people that love me back. So we do the same thing today. And I'm guilty of this too. I'm, I'm not just preaching this to you guys. When I go to the cafe, what's the first thing I do? I look at the people I love and I go sit with them. And the pro it's not bad to do that. We should do that. We show love to everybody. But if I do that every single Sunday, how can I ever show Jesus love? How can I ever go and show other people that Jesus is going to love them, but only go to the people that I know? And this is something that I see in Scripture here that's a highlight for us that we can look at and say, Lord, if I'm going to finish the great command and the great commission, we need to go and look at the Gentile in our lives. Because each one of us have those Gentiles in our lives. And I know maybe many of you have prayed this too. Lord, just send an angel. If they're not going to listen to me, but they'll listen to an angel. But here's the thing. We see in the same story here, God sent Peter, right? Because God had to do a change in Peter's heart. And maybe God wants to do a change in your heart. Maybe it's something God wasn't changing in your life to say, go visit that Gentile and you can be a light to him. But let's move on. Uh, Peter and Cornelius' house, okay? So Peter gets there, and I can only imagine Cornelius, how the man is feeling. Because just think for him. Four days ago, an angel appears to him who says, go get this man called Peter. What kind of man is Peter of angels announce his coming, right? Like this must be the holy of holies kind of type of guy, right? So what kind of man is Peter? So Cornelius had four days to sit on this and wonder what kind of man is he? So when Peter arrives at Cornelius' house, what's the first thing that happens in verse 25? We see Cornelius bow down and worship Peter. And again, it's easy to criticize, but I mean, if an angel announces somebody's coming, I might do the same thing, right? But I love this next part of Peter when he comes to him and says, stand up, for I am too a man. And again, we look at this part in Scripture and we kind of dismiss it, or we look at it and say, oh, those, those uh, ignorant people back in the day. But you know we do the same thing today. We are masters at creating idols in our lives and things we worship. And we worship other people. And we're like, no, I never bow down and worship them. Well, I would say many of us too, the celebrities and stuff we follow constantly, athletes we follow, and even I would say other preachers and stuff where we just like, man, I can't wait for the next thing they're going to say. And what we do is we make other people the author and perfecter of our faith. Because sometimes we get saved, right? And now we're like, oh, I need to make my faith better. I don't think Jesus can help me, so I'll look at this book. Or I'll go to this podcast, or I'll follow this preacher. This preacher will perfect my faith. And that's not what it is. We know this that in Hebrews 12, God is the only author and perfecter of our faith. And I just want to give there's another caution I see in here for all of us here. Let us not focus on other people or another man that's going to perfect my faith. Because here's the thing. 
I am an instrument of God. You are all instruments of God. The problem is I get out of tune and I have to be retuned every time. So when I speak, even here today, I can be out of tune of some stuff I'm saying. So I need to constantly go back to Jesus to tune me in. And again, if we have lots of people here who speak and lots of people here who glorify God's name and speak his word, we have an orchestra of music playing, right? And again, I love an orchestra in scripture we can come to and listen to God himself. This is not secondhand knowledge you're getting from anybody else, but this is we're getting the truth from his scripture. So again, that's just another word I want to give you guys that we have to be careful of, right? Again, we see this, I'm not going to worship other men, but I'll come back and I'll worship the Lord. So, we get in a story now and move on a little bit. How did a Jew and a Gentile meet up? I mean, how did these people, they're 50 kilometers apart, the two cities, how did they come and they meet up here? And God, yes, absolutely. But what's the one thing they both did? And we see this in verse two and verse nine, they prayed. It talks about Cornelius was constantly praying. And we see Peter even took the extra time at the noon hour to go and pray. So they were, again, they were enthralled in prayer. And again, prayer is one of those things we easily forget. And again, Pastor Ray has said this many times, and I've said this, I think, every message I've preached, and you'll hear this again, not everything is out of prayer, but everything comes out of prayer, right? Everything should come out of prayer. And these are the moments we should come to and see God's face, right? Matthew 6, maybe, sorry, before I get into there. <laughs> A lot of us, and me included, I'll get in this moment like, I know I need to pray, but what do I pray? Lord, I'm lost in my prayers. I don't know what to go to next. And that's the thing I want to encourage you again. It's something we have available and we forget sometimes. But let's go to Matthew 6. Then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us a daily bread and forgive us our debts. We're also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I know we've all said this a thousand times, we've memorized it, but this is something that's at our fingertips where we need to use. And if you don't know how to pray, come to Matthew 6. Take one of the components of the prayer and just start expanding on it. Because we can look at this and say, Lord, is there anybody I need to forgive? And I'll tell you, those things come to mind pretty quickly. And those are the next actions that you can start praying for those that you think that you need to forgive. But today, we don't have time to expand on the whole thing. We're not going to. It's not the point of this message. But I just want to focus on one thing about the Lord's Prayer. And that's the very, very first line. When it says, Our Father in heaven. How can Jews and Gentiles and all of us here pray Our Father? How does that make sense that we can all pray Our Father if we're not all from the same family? And again, this is the whole thing that comes to play of salvation is in Christ for all people. And Romans 8 beautifully puts this out. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that is the children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ provide we suffer with him and all will be glorified with him. And this is when I talked earlier to you guys today about we have different lenses and one of the lenses I look at is for, uh, being a foreigner. The other lens I look at scripture with is adoption because me and Andrea have adopted two kids. So when I read this and when I read the, the, the whole story of Cornelius, the thing that actually jumped out of me immediately was adoption. 
that we are all adopted into God's kingdom. And this is the beautiful, beautiful thing we see in here, that we are all adopted as God's kids. We can all cry out, Abba, Father. We cannot cry out, Abba, Father, if it wasn't for adoption in Scripture. Because what right do I have if I'm not family to call somebody Father? So, we look at this, and what is adoption? Adoption, by definition, is the legal process that gives a, a status of son or daughter to another person who is not their child by birth. But in the New Testament, we see this term directly affected, which God gives to his children through the anointing, death, and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Because we live in a broken world, and this world has gone so far, it's getting only worse and worse and worse, that God gave his son to us so that we can be saved, so we can be adopted into his family. Because None of us here, but maybe few of us here, are from Jewish descent, right? We are all Gentiles here. But God has made a path for us to be adopted. And here's the thing, too, with adoption. It is a beautiful thing, as we see in this scripture, too. It is a beautiful thing seeing somebody being connected into a family. But did you know that adoption is also tragic? Adoption is very tragic. Because for somebody to enter into another family, it means that family had to be broken. Something bad had to happen there. Kids were abandoned, kids were lost, whatever it is, or there was abuse in the home, but it's tragic. And even too, if we look at this with Jesus, Jesus had to suffer on the cross horrifically for us to become an adopted to him. And this is something in scripture I think we should not forget about. When we see these things, we can go and say, Lord, thank you that I'm not left behind or abandoned, but actually would you care for me in this? Ephesians 1 says this, Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that he would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will. We have an inheritance because of adoption with God, and our inheritance is eternal life with him. To give you guys a real-world example, when our kids got adopted, they got the last name of Gunter. So... When me and Andrea pass away one day, they will inherit everything we have, right? Because they're adopted, they're a family, they have our own last name. But let's say there's a kid who comes to our house every day, plays in our house, he's a good kid, and we like him and stuff. But when we die one day, that kid will not inherit anything. Why? He's not adopted. So it's the same with, our, with, with, with us here as Christians. When we have somebody here who comes, you come to church, and you do the good deeds and stuff, but you are not, you don't take that last step, the same as Cornelius, right? Where you say, in Christ alone is my salvation, you don't get adopted, you don't get that eternal reward, and you don't get that inheritance which is with Christ. So this is the thing, that last piece that we should not forget about, that we should look at and say, okay, Lord, where am I really at in this? And again, it's not by good deeds, right? So my kids, they will do good deeds. Not because they have to, not because they were adopted or they're doing good deeds in our home. They're doing good deeds in our home because they want to. Not always. But they'll do lots of good deeds, you know, because they love me and Andrea. And it's because of our love for Christ, because of our love for Jesus, that we come and we do good deeds, and God praises that. But it's not because of good deeds that we are saved. So we're going to close this message off. And... I've been praying about this, and it's actually so obvious. I'm like, Lord, wrestling with how do we close a message like this? But it's actually very simple. It's in the same way that, uh, that, that uh, with Peter, the Holy Spirit came all over them. But Romans 10 says this, Therefore there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, who riches blessedly 
all who call upon him. For everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. And I want to let the Holy Spirit minister to you today. And we're going to do a bit of a prayer time here. And there's going to be three things on there. So maybe you're here this morning and you think, I'm good enough. You know, I will never say that out loud. But you know, I loosely follow Christianity. I come to church. I do all the right things, say all the right things. But you never really surrendered your heart over. Your salvation is not in Christ. Your salvation is on your church status or something you do here or maybe out in the community. Or maybe it's the second one where you say, I'm bad enough. Man, nobody's gonna love me if you would only know what's going on in my life. And I wanna encourage you, nothing can separate you from Christ's love. There is a savior who wants to reach out to you and meet you wherever you're at, and you can simply come as you are. And then the last one here, maybe you're already saved, but like Peter, you have a clique. You got your people and you're sticking with them. And again, there's nothing wrong with having close friends. We have close friends, I love being with our close friends, but it's also expanding that. It is asking the simple question, Lord, is there a Gentile in my life I need to reach out to? Is there somebody in my life I can go and I can be a witness for? And it's just simply asking that. So I'm gonna pray for you, and then I'm gonna give you some quiet time just to reflect, and any one of those three, and say, Lord, what do you wanna say? I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to minister to you. So Jesus, thank you so much for the story of Cornelius. Thank you so much, Lord, for both Peter and Cornelius' obedience as they went out and they gave their yes. And Lord, we can see this wonderful conversion, Father, where Gentiles for the first time, without becoming Jews, received your Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray now for everybody here. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us? Holy Spirit, would you minister to our hearts now? Would you speak to us, Lord? That, Lord, maybe I just lived a good enough life, but I never really asked you to be king of my life. Oh, Lord, maybe it's the bad things I have done. And I ask Jesus, would you just show us we can just come as we are? Oh, Lord, maybe there's some, some Gentiles out there we need to reach out for. So I ask Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you reveal your presence to us right now as we just listen? Holy Spirit, thank you so much for ministering to us this morning. Thank you for showing us that next step, Lord. And I pray now, Jesus, would you go for every single person here today, Lord. And as we go on to our weeks too, Jesus, would you show us where we can be a light? 
Can you show us somebody, Lord, that's out there where we can go and minister to Jesus? And I ask, Lord, that you would empower us and give all of us here the wisdom and the courage, Father, to do this. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.